Very good morning to you. Three minutes after 8 o'clock. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. President Obama vows to hunt down ISIS militants. Alibaba faces off with investors over its upcoming IPO. And the weaker U.S. jobs numbers, well, they buy some time for the doves on the Fed's policymaking committee. Or do they? That reference for keeping rates close to zero for considerable time after the asset purchase program drew my objections. That's Charles Plosser, the Philly Fed chief. Uh, he says forget about the weak jobs report of 142,000 net new jobs uh, created. Keeping rates this low is risky. That form of forward guidance, which refers to the time, length of time after the asset purchase end, um, I believe is language that was no longer appropriate, nor was it warranted given the progress that our economy had made. But here's what makes a market. It means the Fed will not change. It's still steady as she goes policy from the Federal Reserve. Mm. Secondly, it means that while the economy continues to cyclically recover, we're not yet at escape velocity. And therefore, you're still going to worry about secular stagnation. That's Bloomberg columnist Mohammed El Arian. And he thinks reluctantly, it appears that it will be good for markets. Ironically, the markets will sense there'll be a sense of relief in the markets because there was concern that interest rates may go up too quickly. Yes. And this one, I think, is going to reduce that concern. So you're going to get a rates discussion on the program, as you might imagine. Uh, and we'll be also looking at the Asian markets. I can tell you that uh, we're opening to the upside, at least temporarily. The Nikkei up 58 points at 15,727. In Australia, the market there is flat, but uh, up about one point or so. And this is after some futures have been pointing a little bit lower. The dollar yen now 105.16, so that's not much of a change there. And the euro is at 1.29. Five, so that's about where we were on Friday. The euro weakened a lot after Mario Draghi spoke last week, but holding around 129 and a half for the moment. Big drop in the pound, though. The pound is now 12 Hong Kong dollars 57 cents, and the uh, renminbi fix a little bit higher, 6.17. On the uh, program, uh, speaking of rates, we will look at Hong Kong property and what clues are revealed by some of the developers' latest activity. John Saunders of BlackRock will be joining us live in our studios. Francis Jung of Credit Agricole CIB will be here to discuss rates and currencies, and we'll be looking at the U.S. economy post the weak American jobs report and some other key indicators with Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Also, just breaking this morning, Japan's second quarter GDP fell an annualized 7.1%. Expectations were for that number to be falling 7%. So just almost with what analysts were looking for, just a little bit worse. At the top of the news this morning, President Obama says the U.S. will hunt down ISIS militants wherever they are. Over the course of months, we are going to be able to not just blunt the momentum of ISIL. We are going to systematically degrade their capabilities. We're going to shrink the territory that they control. Um, and ultimately, we're going to defeat them. President Obama said that he would not push for American soldiers to be deployed on the ground. He said it would be a, quote, profound mistake to put American boots on the ground in Syria, as some people have suggested. Bond yields generally pushed a little higher last week, but they softened a little after the weak U.S. jobs report. The tenure over the week jumped 12 basis points to 2.46 percent. We get more here from Mohammed El Arian. 
Yeah, I think there's two things going on. One is if you think that the bond market rally is going to end because the economy is going to take off or inflation is going to take off, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. If, however, you're worried that the U.S. bond market is going to rally because there's a limited amount of dispersion that you can have between the U.S. and Europe and that the currency is going to start taking more of the burden, then that is, I think, a more interesting argument. We're joined by Francis Jung, Head of Rate Strategy at Credit Agricole CIB. Francis, good morning. Good morning. Asian currencies had their biggest drop in uh, more than a month last week. Uh, d- demand for the U.S. dollar apparently higher on this gap between uh, interest rate expectations with the euro. Um, how do you see Asian currencies moving at the moment? Mm, I think actually apart from... Um uh, interest rate differentials or the fundamentals. Uh, geopolitics is also uh, playing a big part, um, which can be evidenced uh, by the movement in Treasury yields. There seems to be a breakdown between the movement in the markets, uh, uh, be it like FX or, or current or rates. Uh, and the fundamentals. So given some uh, improved sentiment, especially over the uh, geopolitics, uh, I would expect at least Asian currencies to be um, slightly supported today, although the one already opened uh, not really that uh, on a good note. But overall, it seems that um, the geopolitics or the sentiment is quite supportive. So does it feel like the geopolitics is getting better now? Right, exactly. So, um, of course, we still have the... um, interest rate differentials issue. However, we have a very disappointing uh, non-farm payroll. Uh, Front-end Treasury yields did move down, although you have the long-end moving up responding to the geopolitics we mentioned just now, but the front-end did go down. So uh, that interest rate differential seems to be not really uh, that negative for Asian currencies at the moment. Where are you on the discussion about uh, why uh, bond yields have dropped so much in uh, the course of this year? Because they started dropping well before we had Ukraine and ISIS and all this pop up. Uh, They started falling right at the beginning of the year. Because earlier in the year, there were also worries over growth, uh, over two uh, main economies, the U.S. and China. So we have Q1 GDP for the U.S. and China. Uh, Both were also very disappointing. So that's why there had been some safe haven flows going back to the U.S. However, after Q2, uh, it seems sentiments improved a little bit. And then we saw actually the downward movement in yields uh, kind of uh, pause. Uh, however, of course, um, unluckily, we had this uh, geopolitics continuing this downward movement. But going forward, we do expect ultimately yield will go up. But it is, of course, a matter of the timing. And did Mo- last week uh, at the ECB, uh, there was a bit of a debate on whether or not they surprised markets a lot or whether uh, it was kind of expected because Mario Draghi had, uh, had spoken at Jackson Hole and it uh, looked like quantitative easing was coming. In, in the end, how did you interpret uh, what the ECB did last week? I think that was still a little bit uh, surprising because it was a close call uh, before the meeting. So not uh, not all of the market were expecting further action, especially regarding uh, those uh, ABS purchases, etc. Uh, some would have expected the ECB to wait for uh, any impact on the credit cycle from the TLTRO before further uh, taking action. Uh, however, maybe they were a little bit worried about the first uh, take-up of the TLTRO to be auctioned later this month. That's why 
they uh, reduce the interest rate to make it even more attractive. We, however, uh, are quite confident that there would be a large take-up by bank um, of the money because uh, the low interest rate is very attractive for them, uh, whether to uh, really extend long with a wide net interest margin or for them to do some carry trades with uh, like buying into some peripheral bonds. So if you take a step back uh, and look at Asian currencies, um, because a lot of people would be thinking about this if they're still buying bonds, uh, since, uh, you know, there's such a close relationship. um, It seems like you think that uh, Asian currencies will make a bit of a rebound here in the coming weeks. Um, Yes, because... uh Actually, there would be some divergences as well. For example, led by the uh, renminbi, we think that the trade surplus would be quite supportive of the yuan. Uh, however, for example, if you look at the INR, uh, we're expecting uh, some more bad data to come because previous data were primarily based on uh, the base effect. So there would also be some divergences. But what I'm saying is that overall, the sentiment seems to have improved, and we do have also quite uh, supportive equity market performances. And there are here and there also some bond inflows into selective market. So I would say um, there, is, there would be divergences and not all the currencies will move in the same direction. And just a final question, uh, where do you think uh, the debate breaks down of the doves and the hawks on the um, open, the federal open market uh, committee, the FOMC at the Fed? Uh, do rates stay low for longer or do we see some hawkish comment coming in? No, we are yet to some hawkish comment. It seems that although the um, MPC members sound fairly upbeat on the economic outlook, no one is uh, willing to be the first one to come out and suddenly become more hawkish because I think they're still trying to buy some time to support the recovery for longer term. However, we are eyeing uh, towards the end of the year when tapering is done, then I guess they must uh, say something about uh, the view about the interest rate trajectory going forward. And just one other thing quickly about the yen. Uh, sorry, because I know you have to go. Um, you talk about Asian currencies going up, but I, I presume you still think the yen will weaken. Right, exactly. Because of the divergent uh, interest rate policies, the BOJ is still expanding their balance sheet, and there are still like, talks about uh, the pension fund uh, allocating more money to foreign bonds and foreign equities, etc. So it seems uh, many of the factors are doing against the yen. Okay, Francis, thank you very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. And that's Frances Jung from, uh, well, that's her full title, Head of Rate Strategy at Credit Agricole, CIB. Money for nothing. The time now is 13 minutes after 8 o'clock. I'm going to Barry next. And a very good morning to Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent. Just for fun, I did that live on mic uh, to let you know, too, Barry. A very good morning to you. <laughs> Why, thank you very much, Brian. Good morning to you. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, so uh, with the backdrop there, the doobies. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting week last week. Um, lots to talk about on the geopolitical front. My previous guest, Francis Jung, was saying that it seems like the mood is a little bit better, so we may see... Uh, a calmer week this week. But then I suppose a lot depends on what the president says tomorrow when he talks about uh, Syria and the hunt for ISIS. Well, I guess it does. I guess it does. I'm not um, convinced that there's anything really big going to come of that or that it will be market moving. 
I think the president simply wants to get out ahead on this thing because he's been on his back foot and perceived as such, even with his, in his own Democratic Party. So we shall see. That may be big this week, but uh, I'm not convinced. Yes, it's true that the geopolitics uh, uh, between Russia and Ukraine has impacted markets a lot more than uh, Iraq, Syria, and ISIS, uh, even with those beheadings. Uh, uh, so let's go to Russia, Ukraine. Does the ceasefire hold? We had some problems yesterday around the airport at Donetsk. Uh, do you think the ceasefire holds? Well, I do. I think that uh, it's in everyone's interest that it does. You know, uh, a lot of people, I think, in the commentariat think that um, Putin is really calling all the shots. I think he's, in as much as anything, on his back foot. I don't think he wanted the thing to unfold the way it has, and now he's trying to um, find an exit. And I think the ceasefire, which indeed is his idea, uh, that uh, was persuasive to the Ukrainian president because it looked like the Ukrainian forces were going to be suddenly defeated. So this, this holds opportunity, and the fact that they apparently signed something in Minsk, uh, I think holds some promise. Now, I know both the European Union and the Americans are pretty skeptical of this, and as you mentioned, there has been violation to this, but um, if it holds, then perhaps we can begin to de-escalate instead of escalate. Is the end game for President Putin to have eastern Ukraine have a kind of autonomous uh, status uh, and there's, there's no NATO presence and there's no strong EU connection? Uh, there's a buffer, as it were, in eastern Ukraine, and then he will pull back. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. He wants to destabilize the country. He wants to make sure that they're not going to be on the path to NATO membership. I think European Union membership might be a different story. But so far, we've not seen the Europeans or the Americans really inject themselves into this. My own view is, Brian, that I think if you had, say, the Germans and the Americans with the Russians and the Ukrainians sit down four leaders and talk about this and how you could build something, you might be able to do an independent but non-NATO Ukraine that could, absent Crimea, which is gone, have its current territorial integrity and, as you say, autonomy or some kind of federal structure that would satisfy the eastern parts. Now, we know Russia has been active over there and has been lying about it, and indeed has had their military active. But I think still Russia wants a way out. Okay, so this program looks at global finance as well as uh, having a, a particular window on Hong Kong and China. So let's let's look at the United States because uh, it's a very important economy for us here uh, to figure out what happens going forward. Uh, there has been a lot of mixed data. We've talked about this a lot over the past many months, in fact, uh, many, many years. Uh, and we got a very mixed piece of data on Friday with the jobs report. What happened? Well, you're right. Uh, the jobs report was pretty negative. It was below all of the most pessimistic estimates. We've had 200,000 monthly job gains throughout the year, and now we got in August 140,000. But the market, Brian, shrugged it off, and we even touched briefly a record high on the S&P. So I think that if there's mixed feelings about the data overall, in terms of the market, and the jobs report probably is viewed more positively than negative because it means interest rates won't rise as quickly as some had thought. 
Yeah, so maybe not so good for the U.S. economy, maybe not so good for the American worker, but uh, good for the people who like to play in the stock markets of the world. Um, and we're going to get a, another new entrant to the um, uh, New York Stock Exchange soon. So I want to just run a couple of quick things here on Alibaba, and then we'll have a, a very brief chat. Uh, investors getting to start asking questions today to the executives of Alibaba. The e-commerce firm is trying to raise or will raise up to 21.1 billion dollars the way the ipo is being priced appears to be conservative we get more here from bloomberg's praveen menon uh, that's what the strategy pretty much dictates you know they want to be conservative on that side like i said i mean very very profitable company you know they'll just let the numbers speak for themselves really what people are looking for is you know growth in mobile revenue they're looking for those margins to kind of stay there we've seen margins kind of go down a little bit so we'll probably be you know tr trying to see confirmation from the company that you know they're able to compete you know with baidu with tencent kind of coming out strong in the e-commerce space people want to see that they're able to maintain their market share and you know kind of let the valuation take off from there Reporter Leslie Picker says the pricing is a little bit lower than expected. So a lot of people are saying that this is a conservative share price because they could have gone higher. Analysts were expecting about a $187 billion valuation for them. And here we're looking at 163 on the high end. Now, this is, of course, a starting point to the range. So as they undergo the... The roadshow, they could technically raise it from there if they see enough demand for the stock. Now, this is kind of the the method that Facebook took, right? They raised their IPO range on the roadshow as they saw more demand coming and priced above the range. That backfired. So Alibaba's going to try and be more conservative, try and right the, the so-called wrongs done during the Facebook IPO, and make sure that this is a price that investors can, can be satisfied with. So, Barry, we've got this big IPO looming. Uh, I think it's going to start trading uh, uh, around uh, the 19th of September. Um, we don't often get a lot of press in the U.S. Uh, about China and Hong Kong, but this one is definitely going to get a lot of coverage. Oh, you bet. And it's had a lot of coverage already. I mean, um, Jack Ma's pictures in the New York Times this morning. And, uh, look, I, I, the big picture is technology we're having not only the alibaba we're having this huge event from apple on tuesday but brian isn't the big picture here that here's a chinese company and it's listing in new york city i mean this is bizarre this is fantastic this is the positive element of the global economy yes well others have listed obviously but none at this size Oh, and it's amazing. And there's all this interest. I mean, even the analysts that you just played, I mean, everybody is following this. And, you know, this is no, no American consumer is, is, is buying anything on Alibaba. This is, this is, this is, I think it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I'll tell you, I don't often promote other programs on this program, but I really urge people, if you'd like to understand a lot more about Alibaba, go to NPR and its Planet Money program and listen to the piece that they did in the past week on Alibaba because it takes you through how it has benefited so many uh, small manufacturers, so many tiny little companies, so many entrepreneurs in China in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth tier cities, how they've uh, been able to move out of factories that they worked at, set up shop and sell hundreds and hundreds of millions of little motors and, and products to uh, buyers all over the world. So anyway, um, that's, that's just my, my, uh, my plug for them. Uh, it's a good program. Go, go have a listen. To it, it is indeed.
Planet Money. Okay, uh, Barry, I got to go. I've got uh, John Saunders. He's kind of a rock star of property uh, analysts here in Hong Kong. <laughs> I've got to let you go. We'll talk again next Monday morning. Thanks very much. That's Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent. <laughs> Two and a half minutes after 8 o'clock. Thanks for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Well, there's been a lot of activity in the property market here of late. After a lull, Henderson Land, for instance, bought a development site on Middle Road for $4.69 billion Hong Kong dollars. Uh, the sites fetched well above analyst expectations and signaled that big developers uh, are back in acquisition mode. John Saunders, head of, of the Asia Pacific for BlackRock Real Estate, is with us. John, good morning. Morning, Brian. So the mood has changed. Let, let's just set it up first on that. The mood has changed. Why? Well, I think a number of things have happened. Uh, I think the government uh, starting to relax some of this onerous stamp duty for multiple uh, property owners, you know, when you're simply trying to do a, a trade-up, not be a speculator, I think that has helped. And there has obviously been some price cutting by the developers. Um, so that's all added to a little bit more uh, or, or slightly better sentiment um, that's then fed on itself and, uh, and produced slightly higher numbers. But I, I have to say I would be a little bit cautious because, mm. you know, we've still at some point got the looming threat of, uh, of a change in rates, which the market still hasn't priced in or digested, I think. Yes, you were quite uh, cautious last time, uh, so you're still there. Um, and is it likely that the government also, uh, you know, maybe doesn't stay on hold and that it comes back in if we see not only transactions but prices uh, rising? That is a that is a possibility. I mean, the government did come out. Uh, <clears throat> there was a statement made that they felt the heat had already come out of the market. And whilst I think that was true, certainly in terms of transaction volumes, even these latest numbers, the transaction volumes are up a bit, but they're not sort of anywhere close to the, the, the heyday that we've had a couple of years ago. Um, I think the, the issue remains that, you know, the yields are very low, the real estate price is very high, and that's as a result of, you know, the fact that you've had previously massive growth from China with a very low US-based rates policy. And what we haven't priced in is the reduction of growth in China is partially priced in, but the big thing that's not priced in is a raise in, rights in, a raise in rates in the US. That's the worrying bit. It's quite interesting, though, that the developers have moved back in because you know, they, they can read these things pretty well. They've not only moved back in in terms of physical, but they've been buying back a lot of stock, too. Yeah, I think the stock buyback is is perhaps the you know the the relatively easier one. Um, you know, you cancel stock, you you make a permanent change to your sort of EPS and, and your DPS, mm -hmm. and uh, you know I think it sends a very strong signal to the market. So if they feel in the long term that their company is relatively cheap, um, you know that they'll do that. Uh, of course, it's you don't need to buy very much to send a good message. So um, I think that's the easier part. The other question is, you know, why buy land? And I think you've got to remember that the Hong Kong developers are, are hugely well-capitalized, extremely well-run organizations, and they play the very long-term game. You know, they do need stock uh, to be able to sell in the long term. So I think there's a, a degree of dollar cost averaging going on. I think also if you wanted to be uh, cynical, you could say that, you know, sometimes there's a, you know, it sends a message to the market and therefore... If they're sending a good message to the market, buying a piece of land in one corner may help sales in, a, in another corner. Is this in any way um, a currency 
uh, decision? I mean, are, are they assuming that the Hong Kong dollar actually has to be stronger later when it's allowed? I, I doubt it, to be frank. I don't think anybody is calling for the abandonment of the peg anytime soon. But in some respects, the whole thing is a currency question because of this unique situation we have where the vast majority of our growth is produced by uh, derivative through China and yet we have a rate policy that's governed by the US. Um, the whole thing's really about uh, the currency and particularly about the interest rates. I mean, the bottom line, Brian, is that the supply-demand dynamics here are pretty much in line. You know, we don't have any gross undersupply. We don't have any gross oversupply. Demand side, yes, it's a little bit weak at the moment. There's some political cern concerns, but that ebbs and flows. What really drives this market is the rate cycle and the China growth cycle. What worries me is the 93-94 conundrum where we had you know, rate growth halved in China, and we had what was it, four or five rate rises in six months from the Fed. Yeah, but That's it, doesn't, the scary part. It, it doesn't seem like the Fed is <clears throat> is programmed now to move that quickly like it did in '94. Yeah, look, I, I'm not a, I'm not here to speculate on rates. The only thing I would say from just having, I suppose, watched this thing for twenty or twenty five years, is it always has the capacity to surprise. I mean, there's a huge argument, when will rates go up? What's the, you know, what's happening with, you know, Putin, etc.? Does that delay things, job numbers delaying things, etc., etc.? The only thing I would say as a general comment is that it seems globally there's a phenomenon where, you know, by the time governments react and actually make a change, <laughs> they always seem to be a bit behind the curve. And yeah. therefore, you tend to get surprised with a couple of quick rises earlier than you thought. That's not an economic prediction, more a sort of a, a yeah. commentary on the globe. Let's talk a little bit about market trends. Um, obviously, of late, a big push into very small flats. Um, hmm. What's the import there? Oh, look, I think that's a pent-up demand thing, really. I mean, the one thing you've always got in your favor in any housing market is there's a, a perfectly natural and perfectly healthy desire that young people have. They want to get out of, you know, what you could describe as the rent trap and want to be a, an owner-occupier. Um, it is relatively much more expensive for them to do that, of course, now than it, than, it, than it was a few years ago. But there is still that basic desire. So once you remove the excess stamp duty overhang and there was a little bit more encouragement in the market, I think you just release that demand, to be frank. What about something like this, that uh, because the data has been a little weak in China and investors are anticipating stimulus, um, if that's the case, does some of that stimulus money make its way into Hong Kong property? Ooh, um, I suppose it's an argument, but I'm not sure I'd use, uh, I'd use my own money to you, bet you that. Would, you I might wouldn't use... buy here um, to get out in front of that. <laughs> no, I, look, it, it seems... a. It, you know, there could be a connection, but it's it's several times removed. That that it, I'd say that was an optimistic hope at best. Okay, let me just go back to trends again. What's the mm. most interesting trend you see at the moment? Uh, look, I think the you know trend wise, you know the I, frankly the only trend I would be watching at the moment is what's happening with U.S. rates. I know I keep going on about it, but the internal trends within the Hong Kong market, real estate market, just don't really matter. Um, it's all overshadowed by the peg and the fact that we're beholden to the U.S. rate cycle. So I'd be sitting there waiting for that. And really, until you've priced in that correction, frankly speaking, I'm not sure I'd be buying because I just think it's wrong priced at the moment. 
Okay, John, we got to go. Thanks very much. Uh, Out of time, John Saunders, head of Asia-Pacific coverage for BlackRock Real Estate. Briefly, some interesting things today. The pound dropping 1% as the Scottish independence uh, vote seems to be leading now in opinion polls. And Alibaba again seeking $21.1 billion in a record-breaking IPO. Let's wrap up with the numbers. Uh, the Nikkei's down four points now. Australia down as well. Looks like a little bit of a lackluster day. Oil prices, $100.78 for a barrel of Brent. And gold, $1,266.30. Thanks for listening to the program now. The time, 8.31. The News with Samantha Butler. President Obama has said he'll present a much-anticipated strategy to defeat the Islamic State group. He'll make the announcement on the eve of the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks in the United States. Radio Australia's Jane Cowan reports from Washington. Barack Obama's signalled an expansion of the US-led campaign against Islamic State extremists as part of an international coalition. Over the course of months, we are going to be able to not just blunt the momentum of ISIL, We are going to systematically degrade their capabilities. We're going to shrink the territory that they control. And ultimately, we're going to defeat them. In an interview broadcast hours after U.S. forces bombed Islamic State targets near Iraq's Haditha Dam, Barack Obama didn't specify what this would mean for Syria, but re-emphasized...